Good morning. Good to see you. And my name is Chris Highfill. You're probably wondering who I am. I'm a church planter in O'Fallon, Missouri. Steve is one of my church planting coaches and asked me to come preach today. And uh, I'm excited to be here. Excited to tell you more about what God is doing in the uh, O'Fallon, Missouri area. But I'm also excited about preaching God's word as well. And so um, like I before mentioned, Steve is my church planting coach. We're part of a church planting network called Converge. And Steve probably doesn't talk about this a whole lot, but Steve is the director for um, kind of the lower Midwest area of converged church planting. And so I met Steve about a year and a half ago, and he's been a great help, very instrumental um, in, uh, in, in our health right now as a church plant. We haven't actually launched our church yet. We're gathering together a, a core team, a launch team of people. They're going to help us plant this church in O'Fallon, Missouri. And so we're, we're really super excited about being a part of the, uh, of the community there and really uh, am grateful for the relationship with your church uh, because as uh, Steve's one of our partners in helping us get, get launched and planted, it's very helpful to have his insight and wisdom. You're, you're blessed. I don't think sometimes we take it for granted that, we're, uh, that, we're, that we have a good church to go to. And Trailhead is a, uh, is a great ministry, gospel-saturated and oriented uh, ministry, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today to preach to you. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. Uh, that that uh, passage again, Luke chapter 15, that's actually page number 874 in your, uh, in your Bible in front of you there. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, be sure to grab one or open up your iPhone or whatever it is that you need to do. And so Luke 15, we'll start in verse 1. I mentioned to you that Steve has uh, been a big help to me uh, he's also actually helped me partner with a church in O'Fallon. One of uh, Steve's friends is a guy named John Ryan. John Ryan pastors at the Summit Church uh, in, a, in North O'Fallon. We're planting in South O'Fallon. So I thank Steve pretty much every time I see him for connecting me in that relationship because I would have had no reason to ever know this guy in North O'Fallon. It worked out, and it's an incredible partnership. You, they're, they're doing similar with me, a, a residency program, similar to the same kind of program that you guys did with Corey uh, and his wife. They, they're planting a church in Collinsville. And so uh, pretty exciting stuff, and we're just thrilled to be a part of it. Like I mentioned before, we launch in January. If you, uh, if you don't mind praying for us, we have our preview and informational services the second, uh, the second weekend of every month uh, this fall. So the second weekend of September, October, November, and December we're going to gather a group of people together, and we're hoping that this team of around 25 people that we've got right now will grow exponentially during that time period, and we'll launch the second weekend of January. And so we're pumped and thrilled to, uh, to be able to represent Christ in our community, and we're, we're looking forward to what God's going to do. This passage of Scripture this morning um, means a lot to me. It, uh, it helps, helps connect my heart and remind me of uh, the goodness of God, and I hope it does the same for you. And so, like I mentioned before, if you have your Bibles, Luke 15, we'll start in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that was lost until he finds it? And when he, when he, when he, when he, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, 
There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. How many of you ever lost something valuable to you? Right? We've done that. Just a moment of confession. Even this week, maybe you lost something. I lost my watch this week. I laid it on the sofa, and one of my kids grabbed it, and my wife found it, which I'm very fortunate for. Uh, but uh, I felt a little naked without my watch this week. I don't know. It's the one piece of men's jewelry that I feel like I can get away with. Uh, and so when I lose something that means something to me, the, the, the length that I will go to search for it determines the value, right? So the length you go to search for something determines its value. And so the big idea I want to get across to you today is this, is until I am moved by the uncontainable joy of God, I will never be moved to join him in his relentless pursuit of the lost. And so until I am moved by the uncontainable joy of God, I will never be moved to join him in his relentless pursuit of the lost. I mentioned to you that that I'm bad at losing things. I think it's part, part of it is uh, is my ADDDD or something. I'm not sure what it is that, that str- I struggle to, to remember where I put things. But I, uh, I've lost something that is really valuable to me, and, I, and that's that I've lost my kids at times. And uh, you can go ahead and, and call the Department of Family Services if you'd like. Uh, if you're one of those watchdog people, that's you're probably calling me or for me, calling me in. But uh, it was about uh, six years ago. My uh, my daughter, who is now nine, she was three. It was just quick math, really good. So uh, she uh, she was three, and we took her to a firework thing, a big firework festival deal. We had our one year old son, and my wife was back at a, at a blanket like campout spot that we had found with premium view for this fireworks show. I'm a planner, and I like to get places early. I like to claim out a good spot. I was really proud of myself and. I grabbed my daughter's hand. I was thirsty. It was summertime, so we went to go buy some sodas. So I grabbed her by the hand. She's three, and so it's necessary. It's an important part of the story. It's necessary that you grab a three-year-old by the hand and, and continue to hold their hand, or they, they, can, they can dart away. Now, I mentioned before, a moment of confession, uh, we've all lost something, but how many of you have ever lost a kid? Cool. Yeah, it's just a, it's a really, until you, like, you just got to trust me, okay? I know many of your college students or whatever, uh, maybe you don't have kids yet. I mean, when you lose one of your kids, it has got to be like the scariest experience of your life. Like you go Liam Neeson really quick, taking one, two wasn't that great. But you go, you go through those moments of like, man, where, what happened? So here's the story. I'm gra- I grab Ella by the hand, and I'm walking, her to, I'm walking her to the concession stand, and there's a moment where I have to pay for my drink, and I'm right-handed. I have her by my right hand. So I let go of her hand with my right hand and reach for my wallet to pay for the sodas. So I get my wallet out. I pay for the sodas. I grab the sodas. I look down, and she's gone. Like, she's not there. Like, nowhere to be found. You know, you're the quick. You know, you're looking under stuff. You're looking around. You know, she's a little person, so, you know, you're not looking for Shaquille O'Neal. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're just, you know, so you, you, you're looking uh, everywhere you can look. And this place is just full of little people. It's full of families, like just like my family, and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I've lost my daughter. I'm going to be on the news tonight. I'm that idiot dad, you know. I'm I'm that guy, right? I'm that, I'm that guy. I set my sodas down, and I begin to enlist the help of the people that were around me to help me find her. So the concession stand workers and the concession stand workers shared it with the police, and the police walk up to me and ask me, "What, what, sir? What was your daughter wearing?" And I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh, I don't know." You know, I'm in the panic moment. I'm sweating out of places that I didn't even know could sweat. Like my knuckle is sweating. Like I mean, I'm just like absolutely. I mean, I'm just. It's bad, all right. 
And so the police officer asked me what she's wearing, and he says, well, can you call your wife? I thought, well, sure. So in that moment, I realized I'm going to have to confess to my wife that I've lost our daughter. I was hoping to keep it under wraps, you know, hoping to keep, you know, I was kind of really proud of myself for finding that really great spot that we, for the fireworks show. And so I call my wife, Sarah, and there's just that moment on the phone whenever she realizes, why would you be asking what our daughter's wearing if she's with you? Back right when I asked the question, she knew that I had, I said, Sarah, hey, what, what's Ella wearing? She knew by the sound of my voice and by the question that I had lost her. So Sarah is looking over the crowd as I'm talking to her, as she's trying to tell me what she's wearing, and she says, Chris, I see her. And she was like 200 yards away at the main stage of this 4th of July thing, dancing with some hippies. And there's my three-year-old daughter with all these guys that have been smoking and shooting who knows what that day. Uh, And there was this moment as a dad that, nothing could have satisfied me more than finding my daughter. Like nothing was more relieving than, than finding her. Cause I, I just, I would have done anything at that moment to get to her. I mean, I would have spent every dollar out of my checking account, savings account. I would have done whatever it took to get to my daughter that day. And fortunately enough for the, by the grace of God, we found her and uh, it was a great thing. And when I found her, I, you know, we didn't beat her. I didn't get mad at her and yell at her. I just, I embraced her and I was just so glad to have my daughter back. This story this morning is a story much like that, but on a much bigger level because it's a story about us and a holy God that would do anything and go to any length to find us. Luke chapter 15 is full of three stories, three parables that Jesus gives. And we're just going to look at the first of those three this morning of parables that Jesus gave to, to help remind us that God is crazy about people that have lost their sense of direction. God is crazy about people that find themselves in a spot where they're spiritually lost. I want to talk about what it means to be lost for a second because I never want to come across like this arrogant guy like I've got all the answers in life because I don't. What it means to be lost, I just want to unpack that. It, we, we've all been in a spot where we've been geographically lost before, Right? We've always been in that spot where we realize, man, I don't know where I'm at right now. Fortunately, with the advances in technology and things like that, I'm, I'm, I'm really new to the area. I moved from Springfield, Missouri um, about nine months ago, and I, I didn't know anything about the St. Louis area. And if it wasn't for GPS on my phone, I would be a lost mess all the time. Uh, but even then, I still sometimes feel like, you know, technology can drive me into a lake sometimes if I'm not careful, right? And so you got to be careful and, and, rec- and recognize and realize uh, what it means and what it looks like sometimes to be lost. It can be a really scary thing, right? When we're talking about being lost in this passage of Scripture, it's more than just being geographically lost. Because when we're, when we're lost, there's this moment when we come to the realization that we really don't know where we're at right now. Some of us, spiritually speaking, feel like at certain times in our lives that we've had it together, but then we realized that we were lost. Like we thought we had the answers. We thought that to be right with God, I would have to do these things and be baptized and show up to these places and have these conversations and and go through these whatever it is that we had to go through to be right with God. But at some point in time in your life, you realize, spiritually speaking, that all of the doing in my life that I could ever muster up would never make me right with a God that's holy because I'm not holy, because I fall short. 
And this morning, I, I want to just unpack this, this parable and help us understand it in a deeper sense. But I wanted to define the term lost before we got into it, because I don't want to just assume that we all understand what it means to truly be lost in a spiritual sense. So there are three key things happening in this story, okay? And, and in order to get these three things, I think we have to explain them. I love Jesus. Uh, I think I mentioned to you before I'm ADDDD, all right? And Jesus is like the best teacher for a person like me because he teaches with concrete lessons, he uses application, illustration, and what he calls parables to teach us lessons about our own lives. We all had a, a favorite teacher when we were in high school or college. You could probably name that favorite teacher you had. And the, the reason why the favorite teacher was the favorite teacher was, they, was a relationship and a style. That's probably why you liked them. You probably liked them because they were fun to be around, right? And they weren't like the other teachers that were like weirdos focused on bulletin boards and things like that, right? But they were like really great, like just relational teachers, and you also like the style they taught in. What I love about Jesus is he, he fits both of those things. He's great relationally. We see in this story, who's he connecting with? He's connecting with sinners and tax collectors, which is unbelievable. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, the person that you would think would be the most quote-unquote religious person to ever walk on the face of the earth. And he's connecting with lost people. Now, and when I say lost people, what I'm saying is people that don't have their act together. People that don't have it all figured out. So what's unbelievable, he uses three things in this story to make it stick. He uses the sheep, he uses the shepherd, and he uses the search. They all start with S. That wasn't planned. It just worked out that way, okay? So I'm not one of those preachers that got to have things rhyme and all that stuff, right? But the, the three things that he uses to really connect in the story are the sheep, which happens to be us, okay? So I don't want to, like, if you don't want to play sheep, it's cool, it's just the part that Jesus gave us in this story. There's the shepherd, which is him, right? And then there's the search. And we want to walk through all three of these elements of this story this morning so we can better understand where we find ourselves in this great picture of the gospel, where we find ourselves in this great story of redemption and how, how we so badly just need Jesus and nothing else. So I'm going to pray for you before we get started. I know we've already prayed, but I feel like uh, we'll just get our thoughts focused and, and, and pray about where we're at in this moment. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you found a way, you made a way for us to be found. God, I, I pray for the person in this room this morning that, uh, that doesn't have it figured out. In fact, God, I, I pray for the person here today, God, that, that needs... Uh, needs a fresh word from you, needs, needs some encouragement. I pray for the person that's on their journey that's, that's struggling today. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged. And Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to, uh, to come and worship here in this place so freely. We don't want to ever take those things for granted. We, we love you, and we look forward to what you're going to do in this place. We ask all these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen. So, I mentioned to you the three parts. Let's walk through these three parts quickly, okay? The first thing is the sheep. The sheep. We are the sheep. Now, a few reasons why, I don't know, I've, I've been in your spot more times than I've been in this spot, right? I've been in the spot where I'm sitting in a chair listening to a guy preach. And so um, because of that, I, I want to try to make it as interesting as possible because I've been there and been bored on a Sunday morning before. I've, I've got that, all right? So it's Labor Day weekend. Thank you for showing up. You're awesome. You could be at the lake right now, um, you know writing postcards to people wishing they were in the spot that you're, you know, but, but you're not, you're here. And I, I really appreciate it. But um, a few things about sheep is though, sheep wander. 
And I, I use that terminology because a lot of times I've heard, I've heard this preached on, and in most sermons that I've heard this passage of Scripture preached on, because we are sheep, um, the preacher will generally say that we're dumb. And I, I don't want to ever, like, discourage you and tell you that you're a dummy, okay? Especially on a Sunday morning, especially on Sunday morning on a Labor Day. Like, you're no dummy, okay? Um, but we are like sheep in the fact of this. Our hearts wander the same way that a sheep's heart wander. I think I got the pluralization messed up there, but you get what I'm saying, right? My heart wa- wa- wanders or goes off, goes away the same way that a sheep does. I met, I, I didn't grow up around animals, and so I met a sheep for the first time like three months ago. Her name was Daisy. And uh, I met this little sheep. It's actually a lamb because I guess um, in sheep world, you're a lamb until you're one, and then you become a sheep. So they throw like a bar mitzvah. I don't know. They have a cake, and it's crazy. And then you become a, you become a sheep. Um, but I met Daisy, who was a lamb. She was getting ready to turn into a sheep. So whatever that metamorphosis happens, like a butterfly out of a cocoon. I don't know how that works. But uh, uh, I, and I learned a lot about sheep because I was, uh, I was studying this passage of Scripture, and I was asking a lot of creepy questions that the owner of Daisy was like, kind of like, why do you want to know all this stuff about my sheep, right? I was asking, you know, just a lot of weird stuff, and I'll, I'll talk, talk more about that. But the, the thing about Daisy, I, I asked her owner, I said, tell me about Daisy a little bit. Tell me about what she does during the day. And she says she just, want, she just wanders. She just wanders around from place to place. All she does is eat. And I think about us, you and I, we, 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 we do the same thing. Like we don't, most of us don't just graze on grass all day. If you do, that's kind of weird. There's probably some medicine for you, all right? Um, but instead, what you and I do is we graze and we go to places that we know aren't right to find joy. Like Daisy or a sheep finds joy in eating, like continually eating grass, which I'm glad that you and I don't find joy in that. I like to eat pizza and Chinese food and really good stuff, pasta. I'm, in, I'm into that, right? But I'm not so much into you know, salad. That's just not my thing. Right. And, and that's theirs. But there are things that we are into at times that can absolutely destroy us. If you think about it, because there are things that you and I can find our joy in that will lead us down a path of destruction. Right? Like these aren't necessarily even bad things in the right context, but in the wrong context, in the wrong place, in the wrong time, these things can absolutely destroy us. The book of Isaiah mentions that we are like sheep. Look at this in Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, all we are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You and I are like sheep. We go our own way. We, we get off track. We get off, our, we get off the journey that God desires for us to have, and we get on our own journey at times. And that's, that's not the place that God desires and, and really designed us to be. Sheep are also super dependent on their shepherds. If you think about a sheep, one of the questions I asked Daisy's owner was I said, how do you protect her? Because sheep have no line of defense. They don't have sharp teeth. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't have any ninja skills, right? They, they can't scurry up a tree. They've got no line of defense. Sheep are completely dependent on their shepherds because, number one, they get lost easy, but also, two, they, they don't have a place, they don't, have, they don't have any kind of defense system. They're not like a bear. Like, you don't see a whole lot of other animals attacking bears, right? Because bears have a defense system. They're gigantic, they're huge, they've got big teeth, big claws. You don't mess with a bear, right? That's just ground rules in the wilderness. You don't, but sheep, I mean, what's a sheep going to do? Just 
kind of bah at you. Bah. I mean, that's not, that's their, their only line of defense is that cute thing they do. That's it. That's the only thing they got going for themselves. And so without a shepherd, they're, they're completely uh, in a spot where they're defenseless. No one puts up signs on their house, beware of the sheep, right? There's just, there's nothing threatening about a sheep at all, right? And we're in the same spot, man. We are relatable to that because without Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, you and I are completely defenseless. Now, sure, we can try to put up a front. We can, we can try to run away from things. But at the end of the day, we, we are completely dependent on our shepherd. And which leads me to this third thing is sheep are completely incapable of getting up on their own. If a sheep falls over... Never go sheep tipping. That would be a really bad thing. If you grew up in the country, you know about cow tipping, which I also think is just weird. I don't know why you'd pick on a poor cow. Oh my gosh. Um, but, uh, but sheep are completely incapable of getting up on their own. I don't know a ton about agriculture because I grew up in, in, in the city. I'm a city guy. Uh, I grew up in Springfield, Missouri, as city as that can be, I guess. And I kind of like the hood of, of Springfield, Missouri. And so I didn't know a whole lot about farming, agriculture, things like that. Oddly enough, my parents have now moved out to the country, and now they own cows. They've owned pigs. It's the weirdest thing. Um, and it's hard for me to, to understand what's really going on on their you know, little farm they have going on there. But um, if a sheep is to fall down, this is some research I did. If a sheep falls down, they become what is called a cast-down sheep, which means they fall and they roll over onto their backs, and with their hooves up in the air, they can't roll over. So they'll, they'll, they'll struggle, they'll bat, they'll do the thing they do. I can't even do that. They'll bat, and they'll do, they'll do that. And all the while, their stomach is getting filled full of gas. And when, it, when a sheep becomes cast down and it's not near its shepherd, it can actually, its stomach can actually fill up full of gas, and then it can block off the oxygen uh, to its brain and die, suffocate. A cast-down sheep without the help of a shepherd is incapable of getting up on its own, which is a pretty powerful thing if you think about it when you think about our lives, right? Like you and I can do whatever it takes to read enough self-help books, to, do, to try to get our act together, to try to lose some weight, to try to change our image, to, to move into a bigger house or to get a better car. We can do all these things that we can do to try to improve ourselves, but at the end of the day, none of those things are going to make us right with God. So you and I become like a cast-down sheep trying to get up on our own. You know this about sheep? Sheep are completely incapable of saving themselves. They are. In this story, if you look at the story in Luke 15, what does the shepherd have to do to get the sheep to come home? If you read this story, it's a really interesting word picture. The shepherd actually picks the sheep up and puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. And that's us. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus picked us up out of our lost mess and carried us home. That's, that's the picture of the gospel. That's the goodness of this God that is completely crazy about you. Is that he was crazy enough about you that in your biggest mess, in your biggest spot of lostness, of not knowing where you're at, he came to you. And this morning, some of you are trying to figure out and piece that all together because you're on this spiritual journey. You're like, man, I don't know what this all means. You know what this means? It means that you're in the seat that you're in this morning because God loves you. You're here today because the search is on for your heart. And God's relentless pursuit for you is this unbelievable picture of God's goodness and grace. Sheep are completely incapable of getting up on their own. 
Here's the, uh, uh, another interesting thing about the story. We'll switch from the, sh- the sheep now. Let's, let's talk about the shepherd for a second. That's Jesus. So Jesus is the hero of this story. The hero of the story is not the sheep, right? If you look at any story of someone that was lost and found, they, they don't focus on the people that were necessarily lost. You kind of remember the, the story of the Chilean miners. Who remembers that story from a few years back? Those guys that got... They got trapped in this, in this cave deep inside of Chile. They were, they, were, they were coal miners stuck in a cave. And they were stuck there, I want to say it was for over 30 days. These guys were stuck in this cave. And it's a crazy story. And, and so much was made of the men that were lost inside this cave. But there was even more made out of the men that were above ground digging to get to them. Because they were the heroes in the story. The hero in any search and rescue story, generally speaking, is the people doing the searching. And in this story, the hero of the story is Jesus. Jesus is the one that does the searching. In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. So he wasn't mad at them. Some of you think that Jesus is mad at you, that God is upset with you. That's not the case at all. In this story, we see, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep. Without a shepherd. A few things about what shepherds do. First of all, this shepherds don't consult their sheep. Right? So Jesus is the shepherd, we are sheep. All right? So, so we, we understand Jesus has authority in our lives. He is Lord of our lives. Whether we declare him Lord or not, he is Lord. It's really an opportunity for us to say, Do I declare him Lord or is he just Lord? Regardless, he's Lord, though. So What's crazy about what shepherds do is shepherds don't get their sheep together on a quarterly basis and say, hey, what do you guys think? You guys want to go eat in that field today? Are you cool with eating here, right? Or you want to go to that pond or over here? I think a lot of times as sheep, we look at Jesus as our great shepherd and we almost want to tell Jesus what we want, right? Like we almost say, Jesus, here's what I want. I will follow you on these terms and conditions, right? Jesus, I will follow you as long as my life is good, right? As long as you're blessing me and, and putting really good opportunities in front of me, as long as my grades are great, and as long as you know my spouse and I are getting along, uh, as long as I'm making more money uh, than I probably should, as long as my life is better than my next door neighbors, then God, I will follow you. And that's not how that's not how the sheep shepherd relationship works. Do you understand that? The sheep shepherd relationship looks like this: the shepherd tell the sheep where to go and wh- and what to do, and the sheep follow. That's, that's the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. And that's the way the relationship between us and this holy God should look like. Sometimes we see the words of Jesus written in the New Testament. And we see the, 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 you know, the, through the, uh, the, the other epistles of the New Testament. And we read through those things. And sometimes we like to take those words as, as words of suggestion. Like, if I feel like it, I'll do that. But if I don't feel like it, well, I mean, after all, it's just the Bible, Right? But in all reality, the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd is a relationship of obedience. To say, because I I love the shepherd, I'm going to do what he says to do. It's not about following a list of rules and and keeping a checklist, but it's it's really about saying, man, if I I love this shepherd, if I love this Jesus, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to follow him. Shepherds also smell like sheep. I, I love what Jesus did wrapping himself up in flesh, coming to earth, living among us. I mean, Jesus truly went to great lengths to find us in, in our spot, right? 
because he took off his heavenly wardrobe and wrapped himself up in flesh and decided to live among us, willingly live among us, and not only willingly live among us, willingly die for us even though he was sinless, even though he had no guilt, no shame, none of that. He died for all of ours, for all of our mess, for all of our guilt and our shame, all the things that we look back in our lives on and we regret. Jesus died for those things. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus became a lamb for us. Jesus took on flesh for you and me. Not so that it could be some really cute story in the Bible, but he did it for us. The last thing about a shepherd is a shepherd has a trustworthy voice. You know, different research has shown that, that sheep aren't necessarily dumb. In fact, they can remember for up to two years the voice of their shepherd. So a sheep, the sheep-shepherd relationship is an interesting one. If, if a shepherd had a hundred sheep, he would have named all of them. He would have known their personality types. He would have known their strengths and weaknesses. He would have known the ones that are bullheaded, the ones that needed more assistance. He would have known, known the ones that, that just listen. That's how well a shepherd would have known his sheep. Now, th- on the flip side of that, the sheep also know the voice of the shepherd, and it's a trustworthy voice. Sometimes I'm asked the question as a pastor, how can I know that Jesus is who he said he was? How can I know that Jesus really is a trustworthy voice in my life? How can, how can I know that? If you look at the, the Last Supper, it's a Passover meal that Jesus is celebrating with his disciples, and he's about ready to tell them that, that this is the last meal they'll have together, that, that things are about ready to go down, that he would soon be betrayed, judged, beaten, crucified, die, and that he would rise again three days later. He's about ready to let them know all of this. But at the Passover meal, there's some, there's some strategic things that are there at every Passover meal. There's, there's bread and wine, bread and juice, which we'll, we'll take communion here in a moment, and then we, we, we go and we symbolically represent the life, death, and burial of Jesus Christ, his, his broken body and his shed blood for our sins. But there was one other piece that, that happened in the Passover meal that we don't have at communion, and that was a lamb. And the lamb represented a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. Now, what's really interesting is, although the lamb was not at the table, it was seated at the table because Jesus was that spotless lamb. Jesus is a trustworthy voice a shepherd that you can trust because he became a lamb for you and I. I want to to focus on the last part of the story, and that's the search. So we looked at the the sheep, right? That's us. Undeniably, that's who Jesus is speaking of here in this story. And then we have the shepherd, and undeniably, Jesus is the shepherd in the story. Jesus is the one that decides to leave the 99 sheep and go after the one. And so now let's, let's focus in on the search, okay? First of all, the search determines the value. So we understand that, right? Something is valuable based on how willing I am to search for it. I have done my fair share of dumpster diving in my life to find things that are valuable to me. Things that I thought that I threw away or my kids threw away. And I'm not talking about like that that residential size dumpster diving. I'm talking like I have immersed myself in trash to find something that's valuable. And I've opened up trash bags. I've tried to find wedding rings wallets. I've lost things, and I thought, man, I've got to get this. It's that important to me. 
And I want you to know something this morning, and in all seriousness, I know we've maybe had a little bit of a good time. I've made some jokes and things like that, but I want you to know something. The search for you was a very serious thing for God and is a very serious thing for God. The search truly determines the value. I know this. In moments in my life where I feel completely insecure, in moments of my life where I feel like I'm not good enough for God, which is all that you know just from a pastor's heart, is all the time. Like, we're no different than you. Probably more of a mess in all actuality, right? I want you to know that there, there are days that I struggle and I wonder, God, why would, you, why would you use me? Because I'm a broken mess without you. And in those days, in those moments of insecurity, I'm often reminded of why God would use a broken mess like myself because... All I have to do is look to the cross. I don't worship the cross, but I look to the cross and see that, that I'm valuable to God. In fact, I'm so valuable that, that, that he would go to any length. I told you before, the search for my daughter, I was willing to go to any length to find her. Like I, I was going to spend every dollar I ever made to find my three-year-old daughter. I know this. Your children are valuable to you. God gave up his only son, like his one and only son for us. Like that's how much God values you. Do you see this? Like God is crazy about you. Like there's nothing I could ever do to earn how much he loves me. Like we can sing about that. We can talk about that. We can pray about that. But I I want that to rest on your soul this morning that God loves you. And the search truly determines the value. He leaves 99 sheep that are found to go find one that's lost. That's some powerful imagery, isn't it? And on earth, the mathematics mathematics of that here on earth don't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Because if it's me and I'm the shepherd, I'm going, dude, I've done pretty good. I mean, you've seen these sheep, how lousy they are, right? I've kept 99 of them together. If I lost one, you know, big deal, right? But to this shepherd, to Jesus, he's saying this, one matters. And it's not like the cheesy, we've all heard that cheesy starfish illustration. It matters to this one. I'll throw this one back, right? Everybody's caught up on that, right? Good. All right. No? Okay, well, catch me up later. It's a really bad illustration. But here's the thing. The search for us was a search that helped us to understand our value in the, in the imagery of God. God sent his only son for us. That, 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 that sums it up. The search is also personal. I want you to see this morning that the search for you was a personal search. The search for this lost sheep would have been one that was personal. If a shepherd had 100 sheep, he would have named them all. He would have known the names of every sheep. He would have known their strengths and weaknesses. I think I mentioned that before. But the search for this sheep would have been a personal search. And the search for you is also very personal. If we took the time this morning to talk about, you know, if there's a hundred of us in this room, if we took the time this morning to talk about every one of our spiritual journeys, it would be an interesting conversation. It would take a long time, and we're not going to get into all that this morning. But uh, because I have the microphone, I'll just tell you mine. And I'll let you know that mine is a lot different than yours. But it's also a lot the same. Because God used people in my life to point him to me or me to him. Like, 
I'm not one of those guys you meet that you go, okay, this guy's a pastor, right? Like I, I, I don't have that pedigree. Like I don't have my grandpa wasn't a pastor. My dad wasn't a pastor. I should be retreading tires right now. And there's nothing wrong with retreading tires. That's just what my dad does. Like that's probably what I should be. That's what makes sense on paper with my life, right? But that's, that's not what God had for me. And I look at my story and I look at my life and a lot of it this week, not even leading up into preparation with this, but another event happened in my week in my life this week that just was a great reminder of how personal the search was for me. My uncle died this week. Last Sunday, I was preaching in Springfield, Missouri at my home church. And my dad, I, my, my parents are from Springfield and I'm from Springfield. They live there. And my dad was telling me that afternoon, Sunday after, last Sunday afternoon, my brother's sick. And I said, man, that's, that's too bad. What's going on? And he said, well, I think he just has a cold or a flu or something. He's got a, a fever and he's not been feeling well. And um, I was leaving Sunday evening to head back to the St. Louis area. And um, my dad got the phone call that his brother had passed away. He was 63. And I knew I had to come back to St. Louis. You know, my kids have school and all that stuff. And so I come back and, I, and then I went back to Springfield on, on, uh, on Thursday morning. I drove back and on Friday, two days ago, we did his funeral, and I had the opportunity to stand up in front of people and talk about Jesus and my uncle. But I couldn't help but to remember that in that same space, at that same funeral home, 24 years ago, we buried my grandfather, and I was 10. And that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. Like I can look, look back and look at different flashbacks of my life of like when... When did I start asking questions about God? When did that all start to come up? And you're all, we, we all were there, right? And some of you are still there right now. You're asking questions about God. You're trying to figure out this Jesus thing, trying to figure out the gospel, the good news that God would send his only son to come and die for us to make things right between us and him. That started for me when I was 10. And it didn't just like, I didn't like come to this full point of spiritual maturation when I was 10 years old where I just got it and I understood it all. Like there's no way, right? I'm still going through that process today, trying to figure and work this stuff out. But as a 10-year-old, I can remember the people that God put in my life and the circumstances that God put in my life for me to, to, to know that I was in need of him. And that happened, that, 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 that's happened continually in my life because like a sheep, I wander away. So I would wander to things, to girls, to money, to stuff, to find my joy and in all those things, I was completely empty. I can remember being a teenager and the families that God used, the friends that God would use on my sports teams to point me back to this God that loves me. Nathan Fortner, Carl Swanson, and Thad Forrester. Those, those guys and their families, it wasn't just those guys. It's amazing how God used this because spiritually I was an orphan. My parents didn't take me to church. In fact, they mocked me most of the time about me going to church. And it wasn't that they, it wasn't like they were horribly bad people. They just didn't know God. It's amazing how God knew that I would need families because I didn't actually have a spiritual family that God would, would product place like a Coca-Cola on an American Idol stage, God was product placing himself through families in my life that would take me on vacation with them, that I would go to after school, that I would spend all kinds of time with on the weekend. Like God used those people in my life 
because the search was personal. That's what Chris Highfill needed to experience the gospel. But what was it in your life that God used? And what is it that God is using right now in your life to show himself strong through those people? I find it amazing that God uses broken people and people that aren't perfect to to point people to him. It's a personal search. One of the more powerful things that happened in my life was when I was 19, I, I felt like God was... God was telling me, God was calling me, God was using different circumstances in my life to tell me that, that he wanted me to be a pastor someday. And I thought that was completely crazy because I had all these excuses why. I've given you some of them like, man, I'm not from like a family like that. My life's not like that. It's just I don't have my life all put together. I'm not super smart. In fact, if I told you my ACT score, you would laugh me off the stage. You would be like, come on, right? In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 is my life verse. It says, for God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things to the mighty. And I didn't know what that passage of Scripture meant, but what it means is this, is God uses foolish people. Like God uses dummies. And that was me. that is me. I look at the New Testament, I look at the search for people. If you look at, if you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is this guy who's a tax collector. Consistent theme in Jesus' life. In this story, he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. In the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, and he calls him out by name. That search was a personal search. The search for you is a very personal search. God's grace hunting us down is a personal thing. And the last thing is this. The search always ends in rejoicing. The search ends with rejoicing. In this passage in Luke 15, 6 through 7, you can look at it in your Bibles, but I'm going to reread these two, two verses. And I want you to see an interesting thing that happens. That sometimes if you read your Bible, you can skim right over this stuff. But I want you to look at this. And when he comes home, this is the shepherd who comes home with the sheep on his shoulders. He calls, his, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7 tells us something. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. What happens at the end of this parable, the first of three parables is this, is Jesus tells us about the culture in heaven. That's really what he's saying here. Now, I don't know where you're from. I think I told you earlier, I'm from Springfield, Missouri. And there are unique things to Springfield, Missouri that are different than anywhere else. And as a new resident in the metro St. Louis area, I'm trying to learn the culture of, of St. Louis. More importantly, I'm trying to learn the culture of St. Charles County. That's where I live. And things are different there. Like, it's just a different cultural thing. Like, I thought the question would be, uh, when, when I moved to St. Louis, I thought the question would be, um, where'd you go to high school? That's what everyone asks when you live in St. Louis, Right. Do you know that in the Metro East, no one cares about that? No one asks that question here. In the St. Charles County, no one asks that question there either. That's not the question. I'm like a missionary, so I'm trying to figure out the questions that people care about. Like, like what matters here? What's important? What are the idols in people's lives? Like, really, what, what do people value in this area, in this county? That's all, that's all stuff I'm trying to figure out, and God is given me great opportunity. I've been a part of this thing called Vision St. Charles County. It's a class that I get to take. I got scholarshiped into it. Uh, it's a nine-month class where I just get to learn stuff about St. Charles County. It's been an unbelievably great opportunity because I get to meet with people from like the highway department. I get to meet with mayors and I get to have, uh, 
I get to have breakfast with Jay Nixon or something. I don't even know. It's just crazy what God has given me opportunities to governor of Missouri. It's just the, the cool opportunities God's kind of put in front of me for me to learn my culture because I'm not from here. If I was to speak on authority, I could speak on some, some authority about Springfield, Missouri. Like I could tell you that Springfield, Missouri is like the third largest city in Missouri. I could tell you that it's the home of cashew chicken. Like, like literally, like that's where cashew chicken was invented. I don't know if you've ever had cashew chicken or not, but it's like chicken with gravy poured on it with some cashews. Cashews are gross. I don't know why you'd ever put cashews on anything, but that's just my, my personal opinion. It's not the gospel, but really, it's gross. You shouldn't do it. But um, the cashew chicken with the cashews, unbelievable. I know it's not cashew chicken still. It's just chicken with gravy on it, but that's, that's what I like to eat. I could tell you about weird things about Springfield, and you go, okay, yeah, I get that. Jesus, this is the unbelievably cool thing about Jesus. And you could tell me about the the interesting cultural things about your town that you're from. You could tell me what you celebrate. You could tell me all those things about where you're from because you're from there, and I would trust you. I would be like, well, yeah, she's from there. He's from there. So there's no reason why they would lie to me about what they celebrate there. Jesus, in this story, tells us at the end of the parable what, what heaven celebrates. So what we find out about what heaven celebrates is this. Heaven doesn't celebrate over you making more money. Right? Heaven doesn't celebrate about you pursuing the American dream. Heaven does not celebrate over, over you having your life all put together. Heaven doesn't celebrate over you having a bigger house or a better car or a, a bigger education. That's not what makes heaven celebrate. Do you know what makes heaven celebrate? It's, we're told that in this story. What makes heaven celebrate is this, is one person being lost, being found. There is more rejoicing in heaven over the one than over the 99. So I wonder sometimes, how in tune is my heart to what heaven celebrates? Like, shouldn't I celebrate the things that heaven celebrates over? Like, shouldn't I get excited about the things that, that, that makes, makes God happy? Like, if I, say that I'm a she- if I say that I'm a sheep and I'm a follower of Jesus, shouldn't I celebrate the same things that my shepherd celebrates? I think that I should. And so this morning, just in some, just a, a real honest moment, just some real honest time of reflection this morning, I've got three questions for you to ask, and I want to walk you through each three of these questions. And I, w- I want you to honestly answer them in your heart and just have a time where you just pray and ask God to really work in your heart to, with these three questions. But the three questions look like this. You got them for me on the screen? Here we go. Who do I need to thank for joining God in the personal search for me? I've made a list in my life, and I can tell you about a dozen people that God used. It wasn't one person. It wasn't just three people. God used over a dozen people in my life to point me to him. I wonder, when was the last time you thanked God for those people, but when was the last time you also thanked those people? For some of you, it may have been a, may have been a small group leader, a Sunday school class teacher. For some of you, it may have been your neighbor, your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, your grandpa, your parents your friends, I don't know who it was, a coworker, a classmate. God uses people to point us to him. And I think it's important that we thank those people and we thank the God that brought them our way. So this morning, I, I, I want to lead you through just a time of, of praise and adoration to God saying, God, thank you that you put that person in my life because I believe this. God planned that. Like it wasn't some kind of happenstance. It wasn't some kind of like just crazy thing that happened.
God planted that person in your life for a reason. The second, second thing I want you to consider this morning is, am I living my life expressing thankfulness for a God who moved mountains to get to me? Like, am I living my life expressing an attitude of thankfulness to a God who gave up everything for me? It's only reasonable that I would give my, God back, give my life back to a God who gave me his. Now, God's not asking you to die on a cross. God's not asking you to... to to do these, you know, the, the crazy lengths that God went to for us to get to him, he's not asking for that back. He's just asking for your life. He's asking for you to say, you know what, man, I, I'm willing to, to sacrifice and give up and, and do things that don't make sense to people around me for the cause of the gospel. Am I living my life expressing thankfulness for a God who moved mountains to get to me? The third and final question is this, is am I joining this holy God in his amazing relentless mission to see lost people become found? Am I joining him? And if I'm not, what is keeping me from it? What idol is it in my life? What insecurity is it? Is keeping me from joining God in this grand mission of seeing lost people get found? I'm going to pray for you and leave you in a moment where you, can, where you can pray over these three things as well in your heart and your life. Father, I thank you for this morning and for Trailhead Church. I pray this morning that hearts would be encouraged and that we would look at your gospel and see that your intention is for us to be involved, to not just be spectators, to not just be people on the sidelines, but to be fully committed and devoted followers of you. Help us leave this place this morning committed to your cause and your mission. We ask all these things in the good name of Jesus. Amen.